folks, this just in. The ongoing comic book discussion podcast confirms comic books are cool. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a demonic episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion <laughs> Podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Tess. And the demonic aspect is we are reviewing Hellboy, Hellboy. Volume 1 today. Woohoo! Woohoo! I'm excited. Me too. Seeds of Destruction. That's right. Yes. Um, before we get into that, though, what uh, what you been up to lately? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, oh, uh, last Saturday, me, you, and spouses, we went to the food trucks on Magnolia Boulevard, which we do, like, almost every month now. Yeah, that's our, friends. that's our thing. That's our thing. And we went to Black Hot... Black Cat Comics, and they had a uh, shout out to Black Cat Comics. They're so awesome. They're on Magnolia Boulevard. You guys have to check them out. Um, they have a superhero bingo on those uh, Friday nights, and it's so much fun. It's just like Batman, but like retro Batman, retro Robin, and Spider-Man. Okay. And my favorite part is that he's like an overweight Spider-Man. It's the best. I love it. Um, and it's it's just a really good time. It's and, a fun store. I like that yeah. dude. Uh, I don't know his name, but we were talking to him for, for a hot minute. And uh, apparently he, I think one of his uh, diamond reps uh, was a friend of mine, Danielle. Back oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it's a small world. But, yeah, he and he's got a cool little store. He's got a lot of uh, toys and whatnot in there. Mm-hmm. I saw some uh, real Ghostbusters toys. Mm-hmm. I asked him about that. Apparently, those were those were his. Like, a lot of that stuff in there is his. I'm That's like, oh, so man, crazy. don't part with that. Yeah. Like, oh. But at the same time, I was like, I want it. <laughs> like, how much? Yeah. I would just up the price. Yeah. <laughs> how much to take your childhood away from you? <laughs> but yeah. it's a cool store. It's really neat. And uh, if you guys are in Burbank, definitely check out Black Cat Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about maybe we'll, we might try to record a show there one day, maybe yeah. down the future line or something. We'll see. Whenever Corey comes to visit from yep. Oregon. Maybe I'll yeah come back in town and yeah. then we'll record there. That'd <laughs> be knows? really fun, actually. That's a really good idea. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But uh, And then uh, have you been reading anything else on the side lately? What you've been keeping up with? I haven't been reading because lately I've been taking like voice acting and improv classes. Okay, that's what's up. And, and editing uh, our episode, uh, our last episode episode which is really fun and such a fun learning experience yeah. this whole thing is such a learning experience which i love um but yeah it's all it's always something pop culture going on like um uh, oh at work we have t- two of my uh, co-workers at work they're also at the perky nerd with the all-girl comic book group and uh shout out to Lorian and jen at my work i know they're going to be listening to this because they're really excited about this podcast but they're my comic book nerdy girl gals they like come over to my desk they're like have you read this comic it's so awesome but it's just so cool to have like three chicks hanging out in the work kitchen and just like talking comics i never thought that would happen what are what are they uh digging on these days i think they just read blackwood um it's looks like uh if you go to the perky nerd instagram they have a really beautiful picture of it but i think it's called blackwood or blackbird or something like that and it's like a neon like the artwork is so beautiful it's like pinks and purples and blue Hmm. neon cover with a girl on front and i know that they say don't judge a book by its cover but i really feel that comic books are the exception to that rule (laughs) yeah they are (laughs) (laughs) 
What about you? I know you've been up to like everything. Well, yeah, it's all moving stuff these days. But uh, we, the wife and I, are watching. We're catching up on Legends of Tomorrow. We're both, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're both big CW comic book fans, and uh, but we both kind of stopped watching around the same time. Uh, it was. Uh, like a time that we were dating that we broke up and then we started we, we like both of us just stopped watching like all the cw shows and then now that we're back together together and married uh we're picking up on on them and uh Aww. we're watching legends of tomorrow and they just did a big crossover episode so we had to watch uh flash and arrow to kind of go along Ooh. with it and so that was fun but we we watch Flash and we watch Arrow, so we we were just like behind a little bit, but we knew what the characters were. Awesome. Yeah, we just started Arrow. I should just started Arrow. I'm trying to catch up to where my husband is, and I like it, but it's kind of soap opera y for yeah. me. It's a little too much. I like the story though. I like the main guy, but yeah, it's it's so like no, and then you are on a deserted island, and then you came back, and now I'm dating your father's assistant. No, like it's oh oh no, boo. I. I <laughs> I think that they they become a bit more streamlined, but because uh, Arrow was the one that started them all, then Flash kind of spun off oh. from that. Uh, so it's not it's good that he's letting you or not letting you. He's, you guys are watching Arrow first because mm-hmm. that is where like it started. But I do gotta say it is very soap opera heavy at the beginning. Yeah, it does get more superhero-y. Does it? I hope so. <laughs> but superhero-y is already still pretty soap opera-y. I can see that. Yeah, you know, and and still like being coupled with the cw it's it you can no matter what you can feel it's soap opera cw influences Mm -hmm. but it's still the best like superhero stuff on tv yeah it's really fun and i love that the main actor i don't know his name but he does his own stuff oh yeah steven steven amell is that his name okay yeah he's he's a good looking dude (laughs) when when he's doing those uh those pull-ups on those bar (laughs) things my god (laughs) slow that down please yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no (laughs) he's he's wild but uh that show's cool, and I, I really liked Arrow, and Fl- but Flash was my Flash. favorite. Flash you, is awesome. Do you like Supergirl? I'm starting that right now, too. That one I don't That's watch. That's CW. And it is CW, oh, it is. but it's... Um, so technically, they started establishing different universes. So like Arrow mm. and Flash are in the same universe, but Supergirl, even though it's CW, the Flash can go to her dimension it's still a different Earth. It's not the what? same Earth as Arrow and Flash. Um, and so the only reason I didn't start it, literally the only reason I didn't start it was because I I was already tackling so many CW shows. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, at least if this one is in a different universe, like stuff isn't going to be crossing over as much. And mm-hmm. sure enough, that's kind of how it played out. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I, I think I could cut it from it. But knowing that I always wanted to go back and rewatch it. Right. But now that they're like on season four or something, I'm just like, okay, I don't have yeah. time for 23 episodes. But it's true. It's kind of like how Batwoman, how Batwoman is, she's still a part of the CW, but she's not in the same universe as, or in the same like earth as uh, uh, Arrow or I think, right? She's not on the same earth as Arrow and then I don't know that's you see that's really interesting to me because it's they're all are they okay Flash and Arrow they're DC well they're all DC Super, Supergirl's okay, DC oh, so yeah, they're all DC all, um, CB, all, all DC all CW yeah. um and and in the huh. comics they all inhabit the same earth like they all interact but okay. they made the decision for Supergirl 
to make her her own earth, giving them much more freedom of, of because here's mm-hmm. the thing, like, and people people call it like the quote unquote Arrowverse now, you know, mm-hmm. Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow are yes. the main ones. Um, but like, it's kind of grounded in reality, whereas if they brought Supergirl into that, she just could wipe everybody up, you know? Yeah. Whereas they kept her in her own world, they could kind of like, they, they could scale villains to match her and not completely just overshadow Arrow, you know, all the human, you know, vigilantes in, in the Arrowverse. Okay. Like, because in the Arrowverse, it's kind of like the Flash was the the main, he's the main one that has powers. Okay, sort of. see, I need to watch the Flash. See, I don't know all these, I just, <laughs> I need a day to binge. <laughs> Hello, work. Uh, can I take a whole week off? And that's <laughs> the problem with these 23-episode shows, yeah. and they're like an hour apiece. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so much. It's a lot, and honestly, they could cut it down to really refined, like, 8 to 10 episodes. Always. Really refined. And you know what? I think it would be even more popular. Yes. I I 100% agree with you that if you watch these um, these shows, you'll see that there's a good seven episodes every season that is just complete filler BS. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And, and you're like, oh, you could have just dropped that episode. Oh, you could have dropped that one. Yeah. Um, there's something happens in Arrow, like later on in the season, I'm not going to spoil it for you. It's... <laughs> If it it had happened to you or me, mm-hmm. it would have been life altering experience. But in the show, like they erase it in like two episodes. Oh, that's it, annoying. Yeah, and I'm like, and to the point of, mm-hmm. to the point of this one huge event to this one character, mm-hmm. it was so inconsequential mm-hmm. that at the end of the season, when they were going into the last episode, when you watch it on TV, the season recap, when they say, here's what you got to know for that final episode, they didn't even mention that storyline because it meant nothing because by the end of the season, the character was just back to normal. Yeah. So it was like, it's like, comic books are like that it's it's so very comic booky sadly because comics have the same thing where they like you got to go month 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 you can't like stop you know oh. so you always keep you know especially for stuff like flash and arrow and, right, and right, stuff right. like that yeah. um so these cw shows it's it's funny how yes they're soap opera-y and they're mm-hmm. bloated sometimes mm-hmm. story-wise but at the same time it's like that is so comic book of you guys <laughs> yeah you yeah. know what i mean and you have honestly you have to love it you have that. to you you yeah. love the the bad with the good the good with the bad sadly oh yeah absolutely you know but i'm glad you're jumping into arrow it's a great show yes. and 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 maybe you know his his pecs will make up for the boring <laughs> the boring episode they already have yes <laughs> and then if, oh man enjoy let me just say enjoy the the wigs the flashback wigs throughout the entire in arrow yeah, oh, in oh arrow. when he's on the island and yeah, it's like it gets, the, the sea washed wig oh yes there's so many <laughs> and the seasons go on there's so many wigs mm. his hair goes there's so many I it's love just it. it's crazy very theatrical very soap opera yeah, yes yeah. I know and I, love it. I will say uh, male and female actors. Everyone is gorgeous on every show on the CW. Mm-hmm. At least there's that. Yeah. <laughs> At least they're pretty. Exactly. Yes. So, but I'm glad I'm glad you're liking it. Yeah, I'm, I am liking it. I, I am. <laughs> All right. You wanna you wanna jump into old Mr. Hellboy here? Let's do it. By uh, Mike Magnola, Seeds of Destruction by Mike Magnola and John Byrne. And it's a dark horse comic, correct? Yes, it is. Yes. And what year is it? Ninety four. I not, Shoot, see. I did not write that down. Yeah, I was going to say. Let me see. Uh-huh. I should have written that down. No, it's all good. 
Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, you're correct. Uh, first edition came out October 1994. Ooh, that's very appropriate. Yeah, so. October, Halloween. Yeah. All right. So this is, let me just pull it up. Okay. So this is the origin story of Hellboy, essentially. And if you all have seen the movie, this is pretty much what they sort of adapted into the movie. Um, it's, it's you know, there's some variances, and we will talk about that. Uh, but let's do the credits real quick. Hellboy, Seeds of Destruction by Mike Mignola. Script by John Byrne. Uh, miniseries Colors by Mark Chirello. Cover by Dave Stewart. Cover Colors by Dave Stewart. Sorry about that. Short Story Colors by Matthew Hollingsworth. Introduction by Robert Block. Uh, a series and collection edited by Barbara Kessel and Scott Alley. Hellboy logo designed by Kevin Nolan. Uh, collection designed by Mike McDonough and Gary Grazzini. Published by Mike Richardson. So we're going to do something a little different this episode. We're going to read a summary of each chapter um, that we both writ- wrote with the help of the internet to make sure that we get every single detail <laughs> as possible. So, um, and we also just want to hit all the marks so that we can really talk about, we can really just focus on talking about what we liked and didn't like. So here we go. Chapter one. The story begins in the year 1944. A U.S. Army official is ordered to lead a team of commandos to a village in East Bromwich in the English Midlands. The army group, with the help of an anti-Nazi hero, the Torch of Liberty, is under the guidance of three paranormal officials, Trevor Broom, the whiz kid, Lady Cynthia, medium, and Professor Malcolm Frost. Lady Cynthia warns the group of an arising doomsday project orchestrated by the Nazis, of which will herald the end of the world. Cut to Tarmagant Island in Scotland. The Nazis have set up machines around a stone circle. In the middle of the circle is a Russian psychic named Grigory Rasputin. Rasputin tries to summon and release the Odru Jihad. These beasts are very dangerous and are known for knowing no care and are the heralds of pestilence. Very bad. Much to the surprise of the U.S. Army, Hellboy arises to them instead. Hellboy's name is dubbed by Trevor Broom, who also becomes his adopted father, a member of the paranormal officials, and later the guardian of Hellboy. The Nazis are very upset with Rasputin, but the Rasputin is convinced he has set in motion the end of the world. No big deal. Cut to 1994, which just so happens to be the same year that this comic book was released, at the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense in New York, which we will condense down to BPRD, uh, in Trevor Broom's office. Here we see a grown-up Hellboy. He and Hellboy talk about Broom's disappearance for the last two years whilst on a team expedition to the Arctic Circle. His team included the two Cavendish boys and Sven Olofsson, the renowned Arctic explorer. They entered a cave with a strange Lovecraftian statue of a tentacled creature and a human meditating at its feet. When Broom touches the meditating human, he blacks out and doesn't remember anything after that. After telling his story, frogs plague his office as he shouts to Hellboy, Save yourself! Before he is murdered by the frogs, which have now grown larger than human size. Broom is left with hole-like markings in his body, which is very, very important. The frogs try to kill Hellboy, but he defeats them by shooting them, of course. Hellboy calls the BPRD 
their director, Tom Manning, to inform, to inform him of Broom's death by killer frogs. Cut to an old Victorian house where we see an old woman talking to a dark entity about keeping his promise. The figure, the figure says, very soon. Because he's, well, we'll find out who he is in a second. She, and she just so happens to have a frog sitting in her teacup at that moment. What the heck, Oh, man. my. Woo-hoo-hoo. So right at the top, what do you think of the artwork? Oh, my gosh. Even when you were showing it to me last week, compared to the artwork that we had previous the previous week with Lady Mechanica, though I loved it, this one was definitely um, much more calm, I would say, and just very simplistic. A lot of, like you said, blank space yeah he he loves negative space yeah which really just like you can build the rest of it in your mind kind of a thing Mm -hmm. what did you think i know you love it i've been a fan of mike mcnola since the 80s since so pretty much my entire comic book reading life i've always loved mike mcnola's art i've seen it evolve it didn't start out exactly like this like hellboy is his was his natural sort of evolution and Mm -hmm. but he kind of stopped he didn't stop evolving but this was like his this is how he looks now you know and uh but you can still go back to like some early 80s stuff and uh you can see you can still see his big oh that's mike mcnola I had this one, it, it was a one-shot mm-hmm. prestige-style comic of <laughs> Wolverine in the Savage Land, and he fights like Apocalypse uh, and whatnot, and Mike Mignola did the artwork. It Just is, like this? Yeah, sort oh, wow. of, not as dark as this. Okay. It's like Hellboy was how, it's, it, I mean, Mike Mignola created Hellboy, but it's what he was always destined to do. Like sure. These stories oh. are just perfect for him, perfect for his art style, and as much as I love how he draws Wolverine, he's not like a superhero artist, you know? Okay. He's more of Ooh. this, like he's more of an, a macabre style artist. I love macabre. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, the artwork is great. I love how dark it is. I yes. love how inky it is. I love, mm-hmm. even like, you know, he has all that black mint negative space, but then he'll have like, like, it's it would have been white on the page, but then they do these like color fades and mm-hmm. stuff. So even the colors are simple. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah, I I liked it. It was very different. Like I've I've only chosen artwork that's very um complicated, met uh busy. Let's say busy, um which I love. I love everything about that. But this one was very much like it, I read it kind of slower. I was like, ooh, what is what is he trying to say here with these colors? Are they symbolic? <laughs> You know, and and it makes you want to just like just look at every frame and every mm-hmm. panel and just kind of pour over it, even though there technically isn't as much detail as say he puts into Lady Mechanica, um, mm-hmm. that artist. Mm-hmm. It, there, I still spend just as much time, if not more, looking over this artwork. But I do it from an artist point of view, and I'm like, yeah. God, how did he do this? How did he like? Cry? I mean, because. I can just I can feel some of his pages. I can feel the sure. dread that he's he's putting in there. The and I'm background like, music. Yeah, yeah. You, you can, it's just yeah. It's more than just like what you're seeing. You can yeah. hear it. You can smell it. Yeah. Is that it, rolling fog? Yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. And I just I want to know how he just how he's able to do that. How he's mm. able to craft such amazing images with such. 
and it's it's so weird. You want to say it's simple, but I and it's not simple. I mean, he's a master agree, of his craft. I agree. Yeah, you know, an absolute master uh, in the comic industry. Mm-hmm. But you look at the the pieces, you just study it, and you're like, but it's so simple. How the hell did you do it? But you know as well as I do, professionals, the better you are, the the, the easier you can like sort of and more simple that you can make things. But you have to start out sort of more complicated, and yeah. then you start removing pieces. But you have to know what those pieces are first before you can remove them sure sure um and you could definitely tell that this is like his his this is his baby yeah you know what i mean yes exactly yeah now what did you think of this little of this story arc so far like how they're building up to it the the groundwork they're laying uh real quick did you have you seen the hellboy movie i have seen the hellboy movie and i remember loving it the first one the the guillermo del toro one yes the first one and i'm definitely gonna watch that tonight um but you've watched it you, you've watched it multiple times. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that movie. I thought that was great. But there's very little that's actually similar here. Really? I mean, like, the dad is the same, okay. but he, he's dead so quickly here. He's dead in the first chapter. They elaborate his character more in the movie to give, you know, more and more punch. Even here... I didn't even feel that Hellboy was all that connected to him. He was Hellboy was kind of dry mm-hmm. in his dialogue to to his dad. Although he, you know, he does say like he mentions like, "Oh, this is the man I consider my father." But yeah. it just it felt a little bit more. He didn't. It felt like he didn't have a lot of personality, and mm-hmm. might be because uh, uh, Mike Mignola and John Byrne just hadn't found his voice yet okay. I, I felt like they found i felt like read the course of reading this comic the entirety of it um all the chapters that you actually hear hellboy's voice sort of come in mm-hmm. uh whereas in the first issue this one we're talking about it's like it, it, i don't know he, i didn't feel like he was all that cared that his dad died right he just yeah. called the paranormal you know he just oh, yeah. called the bprd and was like yeah broom's dead he didn't really mourn over yeah it. he didn't say dad he, he called him broom and... he didn't like cradle like you, you expect yeah. him to sort of like cradle his body or something but he is from hell apparently we, we, what we think anyway yeah i mean yeah at least so yeah from what we know here we don't technically we don't know that much yeah. uh uh here so far but i i already care for hellboy yeah because like he doesn't know what his past was but he was taken by science, he was raised by scientists, and he's helped. We learned that he wants to actually better the world. Yeah, Mike Magnola always envisioned him as a blue collar worker, kind of like mm-hmm. just you know anyone else. He he would rather be at home drinking a beer, watching TV. But if he has to go out today to save the world, well, fine. I'll, you know, I'll do it because I have to. It's my job. And right. you know, and later on in the series, he, it becomes more that way. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I'm just doing my job type of thing. But you get that sense here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I'm just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one thing I would like to interject. And you only really see it here. Uh, what did you think about, like, you've read the whole comic. Yeah. There are no superheroes in it. But at the very huh? beginning, he throws that Torch of Liberty character in there. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. They show him. And he's very heroic. Um, I'm sure there isn't a spinoff or anything. But he very much reminded me of, like, Captain America. Right. Yeah, and during World War, World War II, II. Right. Yeah, yeah. which is what he was, which is what he's supposed to be. Okay, and I love that fact. It was, it was, it's like, you know, and and if you read this comic just by itself, you don't read anything else, mm-hmm. and you don't know anything else about Torch of Liberty. It's just cool that like he's establishing that there's this 
backstory of things. Yeah. And he even and Hellboy even mentions that the gun that he has is the one that the Torch of Liberty gave him. So there's like a significance to his gun too. And mm. he was trained by him and whatnot. And it's like if you even if you never even if they never delve into any of that I like that it's there because it just creates this interesting little backstory that you're like, you want to know about. Yeah, and it's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, which I might be, Captain America doesn't fight anything paranormal, correct? He's just there to fight the bad guys what in in marvel the comic marvel. yeah like yeah i mean yeah he mostly just fought like nazis and stuff yeah. in world war ii so this is like the captain america of paranormal yeah exactly yeah, yeah. which is which is neat and yeah. and i like the fact that it just never comes up again and you don't know what happened to him and mm-hmm. for all you know he just was he did his thing hung out with hellboy helped train him and then went on fought more battles maybe die you know you just yeah. don't know but like this was his little interaction uh yeah. later in the series there's another character that they bring in that's kind of like an old pulp like like action style character like the shadow esque mm-hmm. and his name is uh lobster johnson oh i saw that there was like a total spinoff for that yes that's yeah, cool. i don't know if spinoff's the right word in comic books but no that's yeah it is yeah it was a spinoff okay um but yeah he was introduced in in how Hell, like hellboy if you i have it in my trades if you take oh, cool. them you'll get to him eventually <laughs> yeah um and that's cool i like that that mike mcdola starts like peppering in these awesome little superhero backstories yeah. in this world but you still don't get a, a bigger sense of the world for the most part you just assume it's a normal sort of world and they bring in i was looking up um rasputin the agru agru jihad those are actual uh well rasputin was a yeah, real he, dude um who claimed to be a wizard of sorts and then i think the agru jihad was an actual like um, demon of sorts. Serpent that somebody worshipped. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Mignola is huge on, like, mining real folklore and stuff. I like, love that. Like, like, Hellboy fights Baba Yaga at one point, and, I mean, and, and Mike Mignola actually, like, tries to... to accurately like represent the folklore so like Bobby Yaga will be in a house with chicken legs because uh, you know that's like what the folklore is and she like rides through the sky with like some kind of I don't know pot or something weird because you know <laughs> it's folklore from Russia back you know from 1890 or something you know right like, right it's, right it's cra- it's old school type of stuff but he will Every, everything that Hellboy fights is something that's inspired by some kind of folklore okay. that you, you know, from all I over like the that. world. It kind of gives him, also like as a writer, I think that's really smart because then you don't have to come up with the world 100% on your own. You can use inspirations. And I feel like that also draws readers because you're like, how does Hellboy interact with this mythological creature? Like, how does this um, Mike Mignola imagined creature interact with a creature that's been around for a thousand years and in in books and things and legends you know that's really interesting uh spoiler alert hellboy usually punches them (laughs) that's that's how his arm is (laughs) rock arm right that's how he he interacts with these creatures (laughs) you meet my fist (laughs) exactly but it's it's true i i First time I ever heard the phrase Bobby Yaga was not John Wick. It was, it was Hellboy. It was Hellboy, no the Hellboy comic, um, like Mike Mignola. And I was like, oh, let me, what is this? What is you this? know, yeah. and it's just, yeah, it's some, it's like a Russian boogeyman lady type of scenario, That's witch okay. thing, you know, yeah. cautionary tale, you know, yeah. what folklores always are. The scariest thing yeah. of all time. Yeah. Exactly. I just have to bring up, though, uh, before we move on while we're talking about like uh, bad guys, the 
uh, Nazi with the swastika monocle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite part of part of his artwork. I wanted to add that in there, but he has like little, like in each character that he creates, there's like a little something in there that if you look at the detail, like even the Torch of Liberty, like the way he stands, he's like taller than everyone else. And he has like the torch and then the Nazi with the swastika eye patch monocle thing. And I like how the Torch of Liberty, like his costume is bright and colorful, but you can see it's already getting splotches of mud on it because, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's not supposed to be doing like, you know, like military work where you're out in the field for like, you know, days on end and you're not changing your outfit. He's, he's a superhero that's been sort of like drafted over, mm-hmm. you know, and it's but he's wearing his costume while everyone else is like still wearing, you know, their fatigues. I love that. Yeah. I love that juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that he's still wearing like an army jacket sort of over his, you know, outfit, mm-hmm. but his outfit's still muddy underneath. It's really cool. I, I It's neat little attention to detail like that like the monocle yeah uh, you just that's the reason i just i look through every panel and everything and then on top of it just like the way he mike mcnola does just the way the movement happens and the way people look and the way things fall it's just everything's so interesting and just fun yeah and he and i like i said before he leaves a lot up to your imagination um with all of that negative space which it also kind of makes you part of the story. You know, you can you can figure out what else is in that skyline instead of just the blue or um, what else is on that wall other than those four uh, uh, frame pictures of old people or whatever, you know right, what I mean? Right, because you'll, you'll see like a few pictures, but then like shadows like from the windows will fall in and you're like, and it's nice that he doesn't have to draw that detail and you can put, you know, make it just black. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like you said, I think it forces the reader's imagination to fill in the blanks. And yeah. anytime, uh, which is why I love the podcast medium, is because you have to use your your imagination to figure out what we look like. Mm-hmm. We're gorgeous, by the way. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he is. Um, but uh, I, I like anytime that the audience has to use some sort of imagination. Mm-hmm. It it goes back to just like I said, like how I like the Torch of Liberty. It goes back to Star Wars: A New Hope before. Mm. Before the, the prequels even happened. Always tying in yes. Star Wars. Star go Wars on, Corey. Life. Go on. Where's Boba Fett? I'm just kidding. Go yeah. ahead. Go, go, go. <laughs> but before, well, Boba Fett ties into this. But before <laughs> uh, the prequels came out, That's uh, all you knew about the Clone Wars was that Obi-Wan said to Luke, you know, your dad fought in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And like, how cool was that right then and there that sure. you knew that there was something before what you've already seen and i think whenever you're making sci-fi and whenever you're making fantasy it really helps to let the viewer or the reader know that something is coming before what you're seeing right now that there's a history to this world you start in the middle of the action exactly yeah and i like that i like that i mean him mike mcnola putting the torch of liberty in there is like uh, um, Obi Wan saying your dad fought in the Clone Wars. I don't want to know anymore. That was in, like my imagination yeah. went wild for years. I don't want a Torch of Liberty spinoff. I didn't want prequels. Right. I, I don't hate them, but I didn't want the prequels. <laughs> we'll like, do you know what I mean, though? Yes, absolutely. It, yeah, I just 100%. I like to be able to think like just give us little tidbits that something came before, and then don't flesh them out. Yeah, and just let us have fun with it. Yeah. I agree. I like that. That was a lot of talking about uh, a torch of liberty. Uh, yeah, about the you torch of the torch one of little. Liberty? Literally, he's only in two panels in the entire yeah. thing, and we talked for like ten minutes about him. But that's what's fun. That's what's fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's great. 
Um, and then, yeah, and you you know, uh, uh, and then obviously Rasputin and everything's from mm-hmm. history and whatnot. So I love all that kind of stuff. I love mm-hmm. how he ties all that in. So. Yeah. Um, shall, shall we continue uh, the story, my yes, friend? Yes, yes. Oh, I could yes. probably keep talking forever just about the, the Torch of Liberty. No, it just it gets better and better and better, and all my points are like from the next couple of chapters. So I'm like, let's do that. All right, chapter two. With some clues about the death of Trevor Broom, Hellboy goes to the Cavendish Hall, an old Victoria home that sits on a lake, with two of his colleagues, Liz Smith, a fire starter, and Abe Sapien, a human-sized amphibian. That's right, folks. Abe is disguised as a human as not to alarm anyone he encounters, of course. Lady Cavendish, who we now realize is the old lady with the frog in her teacup from the previous chapter, awaits the paranormal team's arrival. Lady Cavendish tells the group that she is the heir of the Cavendish Hall because her sons were killed on their Arctic Circle expedition, the expedition we learned about in the previous chapter. The same expedition Trevor Broom went missing for two years. Every group of males in her family from the last nine generations has died trying to find the cave in the Arctic Circle. Since she is the last person alive in her family, when she dies, she hopes the hall sinks into the lake below. The butler, who will be very important in a sec, escorts the paranormal team to the rooms because it's a hall, it's a giant place. Lady Cavendish is the only one left in the room when we see the dark shadow figure return. He says he will reunite her with her sons if she says, Children, come and kiss your mother goodnight. Back in their room, Abe removes his disguise and starts investigating in the water below the house. Hellboy calls Liz on an internal line to remark that the butler looks a lot like Sven Olafsson, the fourth member of the Arctic Circle expedition. The frogs appear in Liz's room and Hellboy tells her to leave the room immediately. Hellboy runs to Liz's room but she has disappeared and the butler says he has no idea where she went. Hellboy threatens the butler, and the butler turns into a giant frog and tries to kill Hellboy. Good luck with that. Hellboy kills the frog, or so he thinks, and wanders back into the sitting room where he finds Lady Cavendish dead. She has the same holes on her body as Broom did in the previous chapter. He regrets not thinking to protect her, and the chapter ends with the dark shadow figure reappearing again. This time, we clearly see he is the wizard Rasputin. Suddenly, Rasputin releases a tentacled beast onto Hellboy, and Hellboy is pulled down by this tentacled creature to where we'll find out in the next chapter. <laughs> parts, parts unknown. <laughs> cliffhanger. The first cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah. So what did you think of this one? Got more action-packed. Yes. Um, it's very interesting that uh, the Arctic Circle expedition has a lot to do with a lot of the happenings in this uh, certain uh, chapter here, especially because in nine generations, the Cavendish family has died at every expedition. But why do they keep going back? Because of the unfulfilled uh, uh, desires of their patriarch, the the yeah. first one, the first guy. I, I loved how much just character was layered yes. into everything here. Yes. The Cavendish family, uh, their backstory is their their patriarch. You know, the the, the starter of their family. What I don't know, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. lineage. Um, but he started as like a whaler. So through yeah. being a whaler and being successful, mm-hmm. he started traveling the world. And then, of course, he's acquiring occult like items and stuff and occult mm-hmm. knowledge. And then somehow he gets in his head that he wants to go find something at the Arctic. And then he dies of like, you know, yeah. something. Or so they think. They yeah. just go missing. Yeah. 
They just no, go he, missing. No, he died of like typhoid oh, or he something. Did die. Yeah. Okay. So he died of like typhoid. Okay. And then, and then, you know, this is the, and then all the, the sons keep going on this, this, you know, all the males and their lineage keep going on these expeditions and dying. And then the idea is maybe it's because he, it was never fulfilled for him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that his whole, he was leading up to that. And then he died from like typhoid or something dumb, yeah. you know, something like very 1786, you know, smallpox or something. Yes. And then, uh, so now everyone's doing, and it's like, it didn't need to have this much backstory to it, you know, like to this family and everything. But, but it that's adds what, a lot. and that's what makes it creepy. It, yeah, it has yeah, it's this very whole, creepy. Yeah, it's got this whole like haunted house vibe mm-hmm. going on, and just and, and you know like haunted houses always have some kind of crazy family backstory. Of course. Yeah, and it's like there's no nothing is th- nothing in this book is like thrown away. He, Mike McNola and John uh, and Byrne. Um, John Byrne use uh, every moment mm-hmm. to include some kind of mythos mm-hmm. or some kind of backstory to a character, to yeah. a character that's going to be dead in like two seconds, like the Cavendish lady. You know, she's dead now. She's or gone, whatever. but I cared about her. Yeah, because she was. It was like a mother who wanted to be with her sons, yeah. and then she listened to Stupid Head. Yeah, and no, yeah. don't listen to Rasputin. Don't He's stupid. To him. Can I say though, for the artwork in there, I really liked how he brought forth the dark figure that's been talking to her. Literally, was a blue head, with Rasputin's blue head. In, in black. Yeah. Like, that's all we needed. And it was creepy. Creepy. Mike Mignola, I mean, he is just like, he's a, he's the king of, of atmosphere and mood. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so apparent in all of his Hellboy comics. Yeah. Uh, this one is a, a lot more freaky than, uh, you know, I, I'm not, all of them are good in their own right. But I just, I really like how freaky this story is Mm -hmm. um i like it's got all these little backstories like this this expedition to the arctic circle you only see a couple panels here and there you hear it just mentioned but man that could be its own it could be its own comic you know like like it's crazy how did the statue get there yeah like all those things right absolutely you could do like a whole issue of just rasputin meditating and (laughs) and talking to the the monsters and stuff i mean it's just it's really layered in there i like how um, the paranormal team, they're all paranormal of their own sort. Right? It's like they're the good, I'm doing air quotes, good paranormal guys, and then yeah. there's the bad paranormal guys. It's like we've got Hellboy, who we know, is, you know, he's the boy from hell. And then we've got Liz, who's a fire starter, and we learned that she burned a bunch of people, including her own family, by accident. Yeah. Which is traumatic. Yeah. See, like Hellboy, traumatic. He didn't, he came in, didn't know where the heck he was. Liz comes in, she is she kills her family and then we've got Abe Sapien who's a human uh, amphibian who was found in a sealed chamber in like a Nazi lab or something like that uh, no what um, was it? in 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 uh the White House and in like the basement of the White House what? but oh, uh wow. there was a note there was a note on the on his on his tube or like he was alive yeah. and uh the note had the date of when abraham lincoln died yeah um so that's why his name's abe sapien because it was sapien. the tube said something sapien on it it said i wrote it down it was like icto sapien yeah. yeah and then and so they call him abe sapien because the date he i think that's his he considers that his birthday or whatever mm-hmm. yeah but like and again it's another story that they didn't even flesh out and you're like and i think they probably do later but i mean you don't want them to it's like it just gives you all these 
these little juicy morsels and you're just like, mm, I just want more. I just yeah. want more. And you then know? what happened? Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. what happened? It's, yeah. it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then, I mean, guys, you're, I mean, listening to us talk about it, you're definitely missing half the enjoyment of, of the visuals. Yes, absolutely. Because just like the, the shot of Abe Sapien going in, diving into the, the water, mm-hmm. swimming around, and then actually coming up, like he, he the frame that he's in is framed by this like statue of a of an angel behind him it's just like it's amazing oh, yeah. how how mike mcnola just incorporates art like artwork of like or i should say he incorporates uh the the environment mm-hmm. and then turns that into a frame or something like a mm-hmm. door door arch will be the frame of the panel yeah it's i mean it's just it's I, it's great and i agree i like how um when hellboy jumps into the lake how um I'm sorry. <laughs> Helmo does not jump into the lake. He gets dragged into the lake. Um, when Abe jumps into the lake, he was like, wow, you don't even hear a sound. Mm-hmm. Like little things like that. And and actually I had a, a moment where I was like, you, you stop and you think like, what would that sound like? It wouldn't sound like anything, but it's just part of the character. I, I, I dug it, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's so good. I, I love it. And then when Abe's swimming, like, swimming in there and he's like, Talking about how like there's no life in this uh, lake. It's like no algae, no nothing. It's just completely, uh, you know, dead. Mm-hmm. And you just you you could feel it like when he's swimming through the water. Just the way you know Mike Mignola drew it, you could feel the the despair. Mm-hmm. And then of course the colors are more like a, a greenish brown, you know, instead yeah. of blue. So yeah. it just all adds to it. And this hall is basically like a city, a sinking city, because yeah. there's so many things to it, which will find out some more but it's just like like we could even they could even just do a spinoff on cavendish hall because it's it's a cursed land and it was built on top of a like a hill over the lake but it's been sinking ever since like it was created so now the the actual house is like halfway almost in the lake Mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah it's everything that's what i mean like they, they don't waste any opportunity to craft some kind of weird or macabre backstory sure, to yeah. something. And mm-hmm. that just, it keeps layer on layer on layer of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. You guys don't uh, know this already. We really like this comic book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, shall we dig further, sir? Yes. Okay. Because the action does build up. I know. You got to keep reading. Chapter three. Beneath Cavendish Hall, Hellboy converses with Rasputin, who starts to tell a very long story about how he found Hellboy. He begins by explaining the nature of Agdu Jihad, which turns into a very long monologue. (laughs) Acting on his impatience, Hellboy shoots Rasputin, naturally. But Rasputin quickly heals and releases a curse on Hellboy that throws him backward quite violently. Rasputin warns Hellboy that he brought him into this world and will gladly take him out of it. The man-sized frog returns and starts to fight Hellboy once again. Meanwhile, Abe Sapien ventures through the waterways that connect to cellars and caverns of Cavendish Hall to the lake. He sees the two Cavendish brothers, who do not attack Abe, but rather hold their deceased mother in grief as they were just ordered by Rasputin to murder her because now they're giant frogs. Abe also sees Elihu Cavendish, who is sitting on a throne-like chair with a harpoon in his hand and Elihu is actually one of the first of the Cavendish um, um, gentlemen. 
Rasputin continues to tell Hellboy about his connection to Agdru Jihad, who brought Rasputin back to life, and Hitler, whose failure connected Rasputin to money, scientific minds, and technology to attempt to bring back the Agdru Jihad, which I'm just going to call OJ from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, (laughs) wait a minute. He explained that when Trevor Broom touched the meditating monk statue on the Arctic Circle expedition, the monk, named Sadu Him, absorbed his memories and thus discovered Hellboy's existence. The monk used his powers to convince the expedition team to bring him back to America and use Broom to lure Hellboy into his trap. Rasputin also reveals that he wants to capture Liz, the Firestarter, to channel her powers through himself and Saduheem to unlock the crystal cocoons of the OJ. He proclaims hell on earth is approaching. Again, no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of exposition in that chapter. (laughs) Yes, there is. (laughs) Let me ask you something real quick before we dive into this chapter. I meant, meant, meant to mention it last chapter. Yes. Why is it that Abe Sapien feels the need to have to wear a disguise where El- Hellboy just walks around with his <laughs> tail hanging out and everything? That's a very good point. Yeah. Anyways, we'll, we'll, we won't worry about that. And we'll see you guys next week. That's yeah. us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I actually don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the little scene where Abe Sapien stumbles upon the two brothers sort of taking the mom, submerging her, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, is is like sort of mournful and everything. But I, I liked Abe's monologue about how, like, I, he's like, I don't think they're going to attack me. But at the same time, I'm not taking my eyes off of them as he backed away right. slowly. Um, that's when he stumbled up, up upon, uh, what was the? El- Elihu. Elihu Cavendish. Yeah. yeah. And that's when he stumbled upon him. Yes. Um, and, and his i guess ultimate fate or whatever yes uh, there's a lot of ghosts in this house yeah there's a lot yeah physical and what uh not metaphorical yeah metaphorical metaphorical. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely Um, it's funny because they're like it's very much human is more humans in this than there are um paranormal i feel but then as we start to end um the comic book here it starts to even out because now we've got, well, at the beginning of the chapter, we didn't mention the medium sees like a priest and a nun ghost who say that it's going to be the end of the world. And then we've got, you know, the paranormal team. And then we've got these frog guys who were once human. And then we got Rasputin. And it's just kind of like maybe, like I wonder if paranormal, um, the paranormal world in this world is very much normal. They're less paranormal and they're just normal. And that's something that I did not like that the movie did, mm-hmm. uh, which in the comics, at least everyone that I've read, Hellboy just does his thing, walks around, and people just are like, and he'll go to like Romania and this little town to go visit something, and somebody will meet him. Oh, oh, you're Hellboy sent from the BPRD. Okay, come here. I'll show you. You know, no one, no one says one thing. And even, I don't think even Abe later on really wears anything. I think people just address them as who they are. Who they are, yeah. And I actually always like that. Yeah, sure. There's no, like, pomp and circumstance. There's no, like, oh, you're Hellboy. It's like, it, it, it adds to him being just, just a, a blue-collar dude, mm-hmm. whereas, like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to fix your sink. You know, yeah, I'm here to bust the ghost. Just, okay. Yeah. It's, it's that idea, and no one makes a big deal of the fact that he's, uh, you know, a giant red guy he's with giant. the tail yeah we didn't mention that he's giant yeah like he's his, a big dude his like uh, even um the way that he's drawn like his shoulders look just too heavy for him because he has a giant rock arm even though he's like stacked i'm sure but he's just like he just looks like a adolescent giant kind of like how they 
you know, um, even though he's powerful as all hell. His um, proportions aren't exactly human because his legs, even though it's kind of more, it's like a Mike Mignola stylized thing because like Wolverine sort of still look the same way Mm -hmm. with like the little legs and the big sort of upper body. Right. Obviously not as tall as Hellboy. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely like a Mike Mignola stylization. But you can see Mike Mignola draw people normal. So you know that he's doing it on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. To emphasize features and such yeah exactly and i like the fact that you said he's like an adolescent uh giant and i think that's actually a pretty pretty accurate uh because he's not fully grown from my understanding 50 so because when we meet him it's a 1944 and he's a baby and this is 1994 he's 50 but that could be 50 in demon years (laughs) i know and in the movie they actually make more of an emphasis on telling you that he's actually like he's got the mind of like a a 16 year old oh that's so yeah but that's not something they top on you know uh, too much here but yeah yeah um but yeah this this another another atmospheric issue uh from beginning to end i like the backstory this you finally get rasputin's backstory mm-hmm. um and you know he, he he even alludes to the fact that he's the rasputin from history you know mm-hmm. dr- uh, you know shot stabbed uh, i think he was like poisoned drowned, drowned everything yeah. they kept trying to kill him and they couldn't or yeah something like basically that. until he you know finally drowned or whatever so and then you know they're postulating here that you know, Mike Magnolia is postulating that you know then he was he was resurrected by the the by OJ, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and now and then, so Rasputin kind of he went to I think uh, what Italy mm-hmm. and uh, basically just hooked up with the Nazi Party and kind of got them to sort of like buy into his whole Ragnarok thing. Mm-hmm. And, Ragnarok, yeah. I forgot to bring that up. Well, yeah, and that's just like him. That's what he's calling the end of the world. Like I'm going to bring Ragnarok to, right. to, and that's a Norse mythology sort of tale. I Is mean, that yeah. why it's in Thor? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. That Ragnarok is Norse mythology. I didn't know that. Uh, but okay. it's spelled differently than the way Mike Magnola spelled it in here as two words. Gotcha. Yeah, because it's one word. Uh, yeah, Thor. but same yeah. thing, which is it's still just like the end of the world. Okay, um, see, I didn't even know that, and I've seen that movie. Okay, <laughs> hello. Uh, um, I really like that when Rasputin's like going on and on and on and on. I think that isn't Hellboy? Isn't he fighting the frog yeah, guy? Yeah, the frog still? thing. Yeah, and there's some comedy in that. Oh yeah, some. You know what I mean? He's like, I, you know, the end of the world is coming, and I will rule all. And then, and then he and, shoots him in the face. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> and he heals, and he. <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty funny. Like, and, and yeah, and you get like a glimpse into Hellboy's mind where he's like, you know, I'm, oh, I'm falling through the air. I guess I should, you know, I should land him. And, you know, uh, yeah. he always has like some kind of thing that's happening. And you can always get the sense that, yeah, he can tell when there's danger, but he's yeah. just like, oh, crap, this again. Yeah. Like, I got to deal with this. Like, I just would rather be at home drinking a beer. I got to deal with this BS right now. I, I just killed you, frog. Yeah. And the frog was cool because did you notice that he, as he was fighting Hellboy, he was like getting bigger and evolving yes like his his mouth was like the frog's jaw was starting to come out Mm. uh he was actually changing shape over the course of the fight and getting like bigger and more weirder looking and also i forgot to mention that whenever the frog's tongue wraps around hellboy's uh arm he it gets numb except it doesn't on his rock arm and that's why he can knock him out with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So he can't, yeah, nothing can penetrate the, the rock arm. The rock arm. I love, I mean, 
It's funny because it's kind of a cop out. Like, oh, but I've got my rock arm. We'll win. <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean, he's already super strong. He's yeah. already pretty much indestructible. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, he's got a rock arm. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, love it's it. pretty I want cool. A rock arm. Yeah, who doesn't, right? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I love it. And they did such a good job with that too in the movie. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I this this was fun. This was cool. I liked getting Rasputin's backstory. But the action in the next issue is definitely going to be the big payoff. Yes. Shall we? We shall. We shall. Chapter four. Liz's power flows into Saduheem, the monk, as the OJs start to rumble in their cages as they are nearly freed. An unknown alien race observes the events and fearing the seven, which is OJ, will destroy the universe once they have blackened the earth. Hellboy is still fighting the giant frog and shoves a grenade down its throat, of course, and apologizes to whatever human sense is left in the frog. Rasputin's spell is almost complete when Abe stabs him in the chest under the possession of the vengeful Elihu Cavendish. The monk's concentration is broken and Liz's firepower fries Saduheem. She also causes the cavern to collapse, but Abe breaks Elihu's control and saves Liz. Hellboy finishes off Rasputin with his giant rock hand and escapes the collapsing cavern. The scene changes to an abandoned castle in Norway, which holds the ruins of an old Nazi lab. The figures of Rasputin's old disciples are seen frozen into the wall in a layer of thick ice. A device nearby blinks to life, and the ice begins to crack. Dun dun dun. Dun 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 Yeah, that this was yeah. a fun action-packed issue. It was constant, constant, yeah. like full pages of I heart like no words to a couple words of just like them escaping the cavern of them doing like Rasputin saying his um, speech or whatever he's yeah, doing. Yeah, which is like basically if you you know you if you kill me, you're never gonna find out what your real purpose is. Yada yada yada. That's and right. Hellboy's just like, well. I guess I'll have to live with that. And <laughs> okay. I, I love it. I love his yeah, yeah. his attitude. Now, what another bit of mythos. What do you think about this randomly throwing in this alien race that's watching the the, the, the OJs? I, I can't believe we've committed to that. I'm sorry. It's great. I, I love it. it. I, I, yeah. I love it. I, I have a morbid <laughs> sense of humor, so I'm A-OK with that. <laughs> well, this is uh, horror, so. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, But he just all of a sudden just randomly throws in some aliens checking out. Like, yeah. it makes It's cool. I like it. Yeah. But like it's just out of nowhere but it's very mike mignola as we know he just throws in a little bit of oop what's that oh, like yeah oh and wait where do they come from yeah. and wait what do you mean there's paranormal and there's aliens like wait and they're cool looking yeah so you're like oh oh and, and they're gone and you're like oh there's oh. you know and like oh but now i want to know more about them now out of this one con- like one book there's like Five separate threads that mm-hmm. we don't have any answers to. So many places to go, though. He really opened himself up for some real story, real good story. Right. You got some explaining to do, Mikey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's he's got a lot of comics that he had <laughs> to go through too. We're, we're literally just we could probably do a whole podcast just on Hellboy. I know. I was looking at the other volumes, and I was like, Volume Two, and I literally started writing Volume Two title, Volume Three title, Volume Twelve. T- Never mind. Yep, Never mind. Yep. And, and <laughs> Not to mention they have um, a whole BPRD spinoff. Abe Sapien as an old yep, spinoff. He's got his own spinoff. Now, I don't think a lot of the spinoffs are even drawn by Mike Mignola. Oh, I they're think. not? Yeah, okay. he only ever did Hellboy, really. Okay. Um, but they do get really good artists for the other stuff, too. Okay, that's um, awesome. But I loved how, like, I love that shot of uh, 
just that spear coming out of of his chest yeah. and then abe just like grabbing uh uh what's her name uh shoot uh, liz, liz and just just taking her while everything mm-hmm. burns like he was so quick and precise yeah. unlike hellboy who is like a blunt object like you know what i mean like he yeah. couldn't rescue he couldn't be that swift like abe sapien was and even right. in this first even though they all didn't do too too much, like when you actually take a step back, even though this this comic is kind of thick, there isn't a lot that happens. A lot of the pages are filled with just action and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but you're already getting a sense of why like Abe is like good on the team, you know, like mm-hmm. like and how he He's is smart. different than Hellboy and how Liz is different than both of them. And, Absolutely. And you like their personalities are already different. Their powers sort of complement each other. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, I can see why they are the field team, you know? Yeah, it's like fire and water and then a demon. Like <laughs> Yeah, air? seriously. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I thought, it, so um, I just want to explain so in case there are any questions out there, but... Elihu Cavendish is, again, he's the guy from the beginning of the Cavendish line. He was the first to fail the Arctic Circle expedition. Um, but we see him, I guess, is he, he's in a ghost-like, Abe finds him in the hall, kind of as a ghost-like form, and he has a harpoon in his hand, which I think is very interesting that Abe, who is a man who who lives underwater, essentially, his weapon is a harpoon. Yeah. You know, it's very, um, very well put together. But um, that's who has the harpoon, and he essentially possesses Abe when he finds him. And he has much revenge because Rasputin killed his whole family um, from all these years of the failed Arctic Circle, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so that's what um, uh, really pushes Abe to throw the harpoon with the the possession of him. But also, like, even even if he wasn't possessed, I feel like Abe still would have done that. Right, yeah. Abe would have, yeah. But maybe without the possession, he wouldn't have been able to get into the right spot. Maybe, yeah, yeah, You know, like like, um, uh, Elihu. Mm -hmm. He knew exactly, you know, where to stand. But yeah, it 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 was cool. I it gave the Cavendish family a nice little, you know, punctuation mark to kind of mm-hmm. get their own little revenge there. And sometimes that happens in other in other Hellboy stuff where uh, Hellboy's is is or Abe might be more of a conduit for the spirits to get their own revenge mm-hmm. or something, you know. Oh, maybe yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's cool. I like again added another layer. Mm-hmm. You don't know like why Elihu was even so strong, and even at the end, you know, it, it's cool because Hellboy and and Abe and and Liz, they're all just talking. They're like sort of comparing notes, but. They don't really have any more answers than than they did going in. I mean, they right. know what happened, mm-hmm. and but you know, and they know why everything happened. But you know, they just sort of speculate that Abe was possessed by Elihu. They don't really know for sure, right? And, and that's what's kind of cool. They just kind of like, all right, guess it's time to get a beer then, right? Like yeah. we did our job. Yeah, and I like that we follow them because it kind of makes us part of the paranormal team as well because they don't know any more than we know. Like, yeah. we were there during the expedition. So it's kind of like, all right, beers? Like, Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, like, yeah, I feel like sometimes you would, at the end of some of these, have, like, some kind of big explanation. Like, oh, like, almost like a Scooby-Doo thing. Oh, so you're telling me <laughs> that this person did that in order to do this. They were just at the end like, okay, well, that happened. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we got all the pieces, but, you know, we don't necessarily know what every piece means but we'll go report it back and Mm -hmm. 
on to the next adventure. Yeah, this is the 90s Scooby-Doo team. Yeah. This yeah. is totally Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, it is totally Scooby-Doo. <laughs> That's funny. And, uh, then, uh, and then, yeah, adding that little alien thing was neat. And, uh, and then just, you know, killing Grigori Rasputin was cool. But he was still talking to Hellboy, like, mm-hmm. as he was sort of, like, falling to pieces. So I am kind of get the idea that, you know, maybe his spirit might still yeah. be... Nobody dies in comics. Man. Come on, Corey. Now Even you're learning. That. Now you're learning. <laughs> So, overall, um, we'll do a wrap-up discussion. What did you think about your first foray into Hellboy? I want to dive deeper. Um, I really do, and I'm going to go home tonight and watch the movie. And I'm I'm curious to see how much ties in, which you say is not a whole lot, but I still loved it, like, as much as I love this comic. I would definitely recommend it to everyone, new and old comic book readers alike. How about yourself, Mr. Corey? I love it. <laughs> I love Mike Mignola's artwork. I love the idea of a paranormal, you know, defense team, you know, type of thing. I love that. And honestly, I'll, I'll you know, you're not leaving tonight without grabbing some of these Hellboy trades here because mm-hmm. they're so good. They're, they're It's so much fun. It's a fun series. It's a fun character uh, with a bunch of fun side characters. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a reason, you know, two movies were made and then a... A horrible reboot. I want to see it. Don't Hopper as Hellboy. I know, but <laughs> but you can in knowing how horrible the um the production on that movie was, mm-hmm. you can see the anger and death in his eyes, and it's not the character; it's it's the actor. <laughs> it's, He's like, Dang it's it. bad. It's this was bad. supposed to be a good. This was it was supposed to be. He actually, has a good director. Um, I for, shoot, I forgot his name. Uh, he directed The Descent. Did you ever see that movie? No, I didn't. The girl, uh, the women uh, spelunkers go into a cave and uh, they have to fight uh, cave monsters. That sounds awesome, but the no, Descent is bananas, violent and scary as heck. Yeah, it's really good. That's awesome. Um, and then Dog Soldiers. He, the guy who directed the Hellboy reba- reboot directed my favorite, one of my favorite werewolf movies called Dog Soldiers. Oh, right. Um, but I was also kind of upset that they were redoing Hellboy because it was so good and actually wasn't that long ago. Yes. I don't know why they redid it, why? truthfully. Just and and the sequel was good, too. The Golden Army, they're, they're both mm-hmm. good. I... I got them both on Blu-ray, but they're now they're packed. Unfortunately, oh, no, okay. <laughs> you could have borrowed. Have you Prime seen? Have you seen uh, the Golden Army? Have you seen Hellboy Two? Um, yes, but it didn't have much of it as much of an impact as the first one did. Okay, yeah, I, I agree. The first one was a lot better, mm-hmm. but Hellboy Two has grown on me over time. But I still like if given like oh, which one would you rather watch? I'd rather watch Hellboy One. Yeah. I like I liked Hellboy One a lot. Yeah. I agree. Well, this was a fun episode. That was a really good one. Next week, we want to do The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. That's right. We're going to keep it dark still. Yes. So, oh, that's cool. So, like, last week was your dark pick. Hellboy was your dark pick. And now Chilling Adventures is my dark pick. And it's D-A-R-K, my friend. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and I've seen uh, a season and a half of the TV show. So we can interject some stuff in there, too. Yes. Um, And at some point, it won't be now, but at some point, I want you to read Afterlife with Archie. Yeah. Because that'll tie into Sabrina as well. So we got to figure that out. But we'll we'll get to there. We have so many comics to read. It's crazy. Actually, I think this... Maybe this episode will be releasing in October, so it's very appropriate. Oh, that's a good call. Maybe, yeah, and the next one will be scary, and then maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll try to keep the theme going. Yeah. 
That's fine. But, awesome. you know, I mean, for me, it's Halloween all year round. Yes, sir. <laughs> it is. I agree. I'm wearing my Spellman Mortuary shirt right now. Oh, <laughs> nice. I didn't even notice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Tess, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Tess Llanos. That's T-E-S-S-L-L-A-N-O-S. And Corey, where can we find you, my friend? Uh, Instagram is where I'm most active, at Corey Nation. And you can hear me on a few podcasts, but uh, I'm going to plug Podcasting After Dark because I think that would yeah. be more appropriate. And uh, me and my buddy Zach talk about horror cult movies from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Right. And you can find that on everywhere you can find this pretty much. Yeah. And speaking of this, of OCT Podcast, can you guys please rate and review us on iTunes? Mm -hmm. That's a huge, uh, I should say, I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts now. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time not saying iTunes because <laughs> they switched it over. Can you uh, guys please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? Much appreciated. Yeah. And follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else you want to. And uh, come find us on Instagram to continue the conversation. Please comment away. We love it when people comment on our posts. That's what we want. We want engagement. We want to create and grow this comic book community you can find us on instagram at ocd podcast and on facebook ongoing comic book discussion and if you'd like to shoot us an email you can actually head over to the ocd podcast instagram page click email email us what you think about this episode the last episode what you think we should read um what you guys are reading let us know Yep, this is supposed to be a comic book discussion for everybody. Yes. We're, we're kind of yelling into the void right now, though, because we haven't uh, actually <laughs> released any episodes. But, but we will. We will. And then once we do, we hope to actually have it, uh, you know, be a discussion between everybody. Mm -hmm. And we can, you know, read your stuff on the air and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. It's supposed to be a discussion between you, yes. me, and you. That doesn't Wait work. A that doesn't work. Well, it, it's a <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in the title discussion. There you go, everybody. All well, right, thanks for tuning in, you guys. We'll see you next week on ongoing comic book discussion podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>